I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. And welcome to this week's edition of Utah Weekly Forum. I'm your host, Rebecca Cressman, And it's interesting that there's all kinds of radio uh, in the world and all kinds of individuals that participate in radio. Some of us do it commercially, uh, playing music and adding commercials. Others do it in the community for public safety. There's a lot of purposes to radio, shortwave radio, etc. We have found that there is a wonderful amateur radio club. It's the Cottonwood Heights Amateur Radio Club that is being led by Carlos Cardin and Krista Thompson. And I just thought how fantastic it would be to bring them both in. So, Carlos, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Now, I pronounce it Cardin, but would you like Cardone or what's your preferred you pronunciation? I had him at Cardin. Okay, great. And Krista, we're good with your pronunciation. Yes. Good. Carlos, you. you are the president and Krista, the vice president of the club. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the history of the Cottonwood Heights Amateur Radio Club. So, uh, when Cottonwood Heights City was formed... There were several amateur radio operators who assisted the city in terms of uh, being prepared for uh, an emergency. And for a number of years, uh, it was just a, a casual organization. They would get together and and uh, kind of work with the city. But in uh, 2014, it was decided that we really needed to get more organized. And uh, we wanted to get a license, an FCC license. Uh, for the group itself, and so we formed a club in 2014. And um, if you ever want to be elected to something, the key is to not go to the meeting where they hold the election. <laughs> so one day you're spending so, time with your family, so the, the next day you're president of the club. <laughs> yeah, So the, and so the day after the election, I got a sheepish call from one of my friends, and he informed me that I had been elected. So I was happy to do that. Um, and, and from that point, we began to, to seriously look at um, how do we carry out – what is our mission with uh, emergency communications and how do we organize ourselves to most effectively carry it out? All right. Those are big goals. So, Krista, how long have you been a part? Were you missing at that meeting when you were <laughs> put forward as a vice president? <laughs> no, I was there. Um, so I've been involved for about four or five years with the club. And just got elected the vice president a couple of years ago. So it's been... What brought you to um, amateur radio? Uh, the um, the community service that we do, like emergency communications. That's and where why my... does that spoke to you? Do you have a, a, a role outside that in emergency management? I do. I serve as a block captain um, for our neighborhood. So it works as a block captain slash neighborhood watch. And then I also took it a little bit further into the ham radio because they were asking people if they would like to be licensed in ham radio. So I said, sure. <laughs> Why it's not? So, to me, this is so captivating because mm-hmm. um, many communities, you know, and I've lived in my neighborhood for 20 years. We don't have a block captain. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have neighborhood alert. Even I did grow up in a neighborhood watch program, but that's not where I'm at. And the right. fact that you have these motivated individuals saying, let's create this. Let's have people lead out on it like you, Krista. Mm-hmm. And then what steps can we take? 
Right. So when you moved into the, how long have you lived in your neighborhood? Many years. <laughs> long enough that you knew these things were important. Right. For sure. And I care about my neighbors. I care about the community. So I thought that it was very, it fit my my goals. What is the so. difference between um, an amateur radio club and ham radio operators, Carlos? Well, the club itself is an organization of amateur radio operators. Um, and, and so to get a license these days, uh, you really just have to pass a, a test on theory and regulations. Um, when I got it in uh, many years ago in 1960, you also had to know Morse code. And that kept a lot of people from getting licensed because it's oh, hard yes. to learn Morse code <laughs> and particularly for the higher grade licenses to send and receive it at a high speed. So, uh, But anyway, um, I uh, got involved in that as a junior high school student. and uh, You learned the Morse code when you were in junior high? Mor- yeah, and, uh, and got licensed as, uh, as a teenager, and, uh, and that led me to an engineering career, as a matter of fact. Isn't it interesting how one door, you know, you, you take, follow your passion, and then a door opens, and the next thing you know, you're president of an amateur <laughs> radio club. So, so uh, in 1960s is when you started to, I don't want to say dabble in radio, you started yeah. to, yeah, to, to participate in radio. Yeah. The, uh, my uh, junior high school science teacher, Mr. Kaling, uh, had a, a bunch of little kits of radio parts, and it turned out these were war surplus Morse code practice kits that they had used in the military. And each incoming class would be issued one of these kits. They'd build it up and see what it was like and learn to, you know, to deal with electronic components. Uh, but I got kind of hooked on it. And then at the end of the of the semester, you'd unsolder everything and make the kit up for the next uh, group. But uh, it got me interested. Uh, I was fascinated with electronic parts and what you could make out of them. It's no wonder you went into engineering because, I, you know, I, I've always looked for when my kids were young, all kinds of activities that would be hands-on that helped stimulate their curiosity. And one time we bought one of these electric kits and we, we, we never got, you know, stage one done. I mean, just to hooking up little wires to the right place. And he would look at me and I'd say, I just... Just, I do work in radio, but I couldn't tell you electronically how all the fuses are working to make everything uh, come together. So I love that, that it started in school. Somebody put that in, yeah. in, in your place. It led into an engineering uh, career. Right. And so for those who just joined us again, we're talking to the president and vice president of the Cottonwood Heights Amateur uh, Radio Club. I um the radio, can we just talk shop for just a bit and you guys fill in the blanks for me? Mm-hmm. So um, FM 100.3 and 103.5, the radio, uh, FM, the arrow, pardon me, we're on really big sticks. We, we broadcast hundreds and hundreds of miles from the border, uh, basically, of Idaho, southbound, all the way to beyond uh, Nephi and a, a little bit more in towards that price area. I mean, there's a really big area. And you can look at the top of the mountains and see these big transmitters that are helping push these radio signals through. And so when radio stations that are big, like FM 100.3 and 103.5, we have to get licensed, right, uh, mm-hmm. and hold on to that license. Many things that we need to do to maintain uh, the legality of that license. Sometimes, um, in fact, every quarter I'm in charge of reporting the things we do for our community because this is a community license. So what are the things we talk about on air that help the community? How do we bring them in? Um, But it's all 
the radio frequency that we use is quite powerful, as I mentioned, and it's on a certain band. Okay, ours is on an FM band that has quite a bit of power. When we're talking about amateur radio clubs, especially looking at communities like Cottonwood Heights, when you got your license, did you have to say we will be broadcasting on this this signal, or how did that work on a specific channel? So or when when radio began back in the uh, early part of the 1900s, late 1800s and 1900s, there was no just as there were no licenses for cars when they mm-hmm. first they came out eventually it uh, there was a need for uh order and regulation and so marconi uh, had a role of that yeah right? marconi mm-hmm. didn't have to get a license from it no, he didn't uh but uh, early in the 1900s they began to issue licenses and and um so um uh, the the um um I'm kind of lost my train of thought here, but uh, we're talking about whether or not the club has to have a certain frequency mm-hmm. that you broadcast on. Ah, so, yes. mm-hmm. so um, when you're licensed, there are uh, certain frequency bands that are allocated to amateur radio. So there are some that are just below the AM broadcast band, and some that are just above. And then there are some that are uh, uh, above your FM band in in uh, the 100 uh, megahertz region, we we can broadcast at 144 to 150, and then even higher. So uh, there's a wide range of frequencies, but but there's a worldwide coordinating body that allocates frequencies to various uses, and it's always under challenge as to who wants who gets who gets what frequencies and so on. And so uh, we also try to to do public service to maintain uh, our licenses and our frequency allocations. So how does the community in Cottonwood Heights know where to hear public safety information or community information from the Cottonwood Heights Amateur Radio Club? So we don't we don't make any public broadcast. The um the kind of uh things that we do are uh gather data in an emergency situation and pass those to uh, the group of, of uh, responders, first responders, first responders, uh, the incident command team that would be put together in a disaster. And so our we're not broadcasting to the public. You folks are authorized to do that. We're not authorized to do that. Okay. We can only communicate this. with each other and and pass information, which th- which then we supply to our assistant police chief, who's the emergency community uh, the emergency. A response manager for the city, and then he has a team around him. So we would we would gather information from around our city and pass it to them. Uh, information both uh, verbally, uh, in pictures, uh, and in data files. That's so, a big yeah. responsibility, Krista. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had that enacted? Has there been times in your uh, tenure that you've you've provided that type of safety information or public safety information to? Um, law enforcement, et cetera? In a drill situation, yes. We're constantly drilling, so we make sure that we're all ready to go if we are needed. Um, not in any actual emergency, thank goodness. Like We haven't had to use it in an actual emergency. Um, but if there was a need, like if there was flood or anything else like that, we would be activated because our team is so well organized that they do want our assistance. 
And and that makes sense to me. In in particular, a lot of time they talk about okay, in the event of a large earthquake which yeah. knocks mm-hmm. down cell towers, right? Mm-hmm. In, in an event that um, it, it it interrupts the ability for people to travel safety back and forth, they say okay, be prepared in your house, be prepared in your community. But the lack of information is is so important. I can remember when the fires. I live in Spanish Fork, and it was just a year or two ago where the fires were coming over the mountains, right? And mm-hmm. we were working so hard to try to figure out how do we get the information on on what to each other, not necessarily using the major TV yeah. and radio right. stations to communicate back and forth. So, so, so we've mm-hmm. based our what we call our major uh, event procedure on the fact that uh, it's very likely in a in a major earthquake that we won't have phone or power or internet. And so we've developed procedures and and equipment and operator training that would allow us to supply the information that the that the incident command team needs to get help to those that need it. So you have your own chain, I'll use the term chain of command in that sense. How many mm-hmm. members are there of the Cottonwood Heights Amateur Radio Club? We have 30 uh, who are active members. That right. seems like a lot. It is. Krista. Not enough. Uh, it's actually not enough. Yeah. Do you try, you hope to have enough to yes. have a statistical representation of the size of your community or how do you determine how much is enough? Well, um, so so we've got, the city is organized into six emergency response districts, we call them. And those are subdivided into emergency precincts, coincident with LDS stakes and wards because we get a lot of uh, help and support from the LDS uh, stakes and wards. But we also have uh, uh, help from uh, the Catholic Parish, St. Thomas More, the, uh, the Unitar- uh, Unitarian Church uh, mm-hmm. on Highland, and, uh, and some others are, are also involved. But uh, determining the size of a group we need is, is – uh, we're, we're sort of sizing it on the task at hand. So we have an emergency operations center, and it turns out we need about six or eight people to, to manage that emergency operations center. And then we've got people out in the districts and the precincts, and we probably need about a dozen of those. These are the, the radio operators. Now, that's not counting the block captains who would right. go out and check the status of the homes and pass that information up. Uh, and then we have a drone operator. Uh, we have... Uh, People with what's called go boxes. These are a little electronic equipment uh, compartments. We've got radios in them, and you can take those out and set them up in a in a remote location where where uh, the uh, police chief might want us to be giving him continuous information from. And then we have people just with handheld radios or radios in their car that can go, you know, can be directed to a certain location to report from there, either pictures and or voice reports. And, and those folks can move around pretty readily. But you add up all those things, and it, it turns out that you need about 25 to 30 people. And then if you're going to do this for a number of days, right. you can see how the, how the numbers – back, back right. up. And, so yeah. that you're doing shifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah, exactly. provide that. And what if we can't all get there? That's the other thing. Like the if there's thing. a big event, chances what are it might happen. People are at work, right? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it is. It's, it's extraordinary <laughs> to think of of the detail that is put into place, but it also is quite comforting uh, to me because I can see the the demographic in the city that I live in. Um, each part of the city has um, high density housing. 
uh, single family homes, there's there's always a mix mm-hmm. or a blend yeah. and mixed economic as well. Yeah. And so um, we we may have uh, uh, um, an apartment complex that or a condo complex that has those who are seniors who may need assistance yeah. evacuating the house. We have so so you have you know those who are younger and maybe more able to lift and carry, and then you have a grouping of individuals who may need more. So so the yeah. needs of this blocked area. Mm-hmm. Is not the same, right? Right, and so That's you would right. need someone who knew where, right. what the needs were, who lived in that community to say, "But we have someone who's wheelchair bound mm-hmm. who yeah. needs, or someone who's on a respirator who is now out of electricity, or, or whatever you mm-hmm. would communicate." Yeah. Interesting. So um, many years ago, uh, uh, Smith's uh, uh, Food Stores uh, donated a large number of ribbons. Mm-hmm. ribbons to us. What those ribbons are used for is there are four colors in a bundle. And we tried to get those to every home in the city. And we still are in the process of building more each year because they get lost or sure. whatever. Mm-hmm. But the idea is we were attempting to train all of the residents of the city that if uh, a major emergency such as an earthquake hits, you you should put out one of those ribbons. Mm-hmm. And the one that's most serious is red, and that means we've got a life-threatening emergency at this place. And uh, yellow means uh, we've got some uh, we've got some injuries, but we can do okay. Green is what you think it would be. We're okay. And then black means we've lost someone at this location. So so we're we're training this, the uh, citizens to put out this either one of these ribbons that we've distributed or a red towel or whatever color they can. And then the block captains have about eight or ten homes each in their in their uh, portfolio. So so when it hits, their first thing is to make sure they're okay, and then check their blocks, and then they feed this information up. And so what we're gathering initially in a major event is the status of all the homes, and it's a spreadsheet that that lists all the homes by by number. Our our uh, city mapping folks, geographical information system specialist uh, has a map of the city and she has assigned each home a five-digit code and so uh, when we first get started what we're what we're sending by radio by amateur radio data is a 10-digit code and a color r b g uh, y and that's the information that we're gathering very uh, in the very first. So, so that cuts down on the amount of time to communicate the yes. needs of those. So by yes. using that coding system, yeah, right. you have all that memorized, Krista. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that, yes, that, I do. That's a lot. I, I, you know, here's a, another naive question for those who just joined us. This is Carlos Cardin. He's the president, and Krista Thompson, the vice president of the Cottonwood Heights Amateur Radio Club. Um, and I failed to mention you've most recently been recognized with an award from the community. And tell me again what that award is, Krista. So the award is, um, it is in our field day is what it's called. And so what that means is that we have um, achieved the top rank in the nation in our category. And um, what that is is that we've gone in and made all these contacts with all these other people throughout the country and Canada, so throughout the U.S. and Canada, and also shown our skill in bringing in our additional points. Um, So that would be 
operating on solar panel, um, operating, let's see, through the satellite because we can bounce off the satellite. Alternative ways to, yeah. to get the message across. Yes. And then making as many contacts as possible in a different different procedures, which would be CW, uh, Morse code, just a bunch of different ways, voice communication. And, and you were recognized as top in the country. Right. That's for our, quite for extraordinary. Our for our category. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. quite extraordinary. We, You've made Cottonwood we Heights hard. in Utah proud. We, we work hard for it, and right. we're, we're well, pleased it, to have done well. So, Krista, do you, this is the naive question I went to. So okay. congratulations on your recognition, which is Thank what you. triggered our desire to bring you in because we can learn so much from you. Are You networked with other amateur radio clubs across the Wasatch Front and through Utah. Yes. And um, if so... If people are looking to participate to be able to fill the void in the communities they're at, where do they begin to find out whether or not there's amateur radio clubs in their area and what, you know, and you come from an emergency management background, so mm-hmm. it works great for you, you know, and all of us will have different skills. Mm-hmm. So where's the best way for us to help? How do we find that kind of information, Krista? I would check with your city and see if they have an emergency communications uh, club set up. Ours is the Amateur Radio Club of Cottonwood Heights. So, so call Chark. your city office and say, hey, mm-hmm. do we have some type of a radio club that is um, integrated into the emergency response of the city? Mm-hmm. Uh, they could uh, they could search for our amateur radio club, mm-hmm. and we'd be happy to put them in touch with people that we know about. Right. We work with uh, a group in uh, West Valley, a, a group in Sandy, a group in Draper, uh, one in Salt Lake City. Uh, those we work uh, fairly directly with and mm-hmm. interchange information, let them know what we're doing, and they let us know what we're we, – we kind of cross-pollinate ideas on how to right. how to carry out our joint mission. Isn't that the best thing? In fact, as we've learned over the years um, and we've watched um, larger organizations, whether it be the government or whatever, sometimes we think it's interesting that technology and development can be so siloed in one area, mm-hmm. and this area over here sure needed that information. And it has to do with you know our, our, our safety. Very often we'd have one agency in the government that knew this, but this over here. And I know that it's a big goal, but our own country, government has been working to try to integrate and learn and and, and try to make sure that they're maximizing our public safety. We have just about five minutes left. I meant to give you a 10 minute and was so enraptured by what you were sharing. I didn't. So we have just about uh, four minutes left. And for those who just joined us, it's Carlos Cardin and Krista Thompson with the Cottonwood Heights Amateur Radio Club. And so even though it has the word amateur, do not... Um, think that's diminutive. That actually just means they are not being paid like I am professionally, <laughs> and and you are dedicating and volunteering your time. Mm-hmm. I think and it may come from uh, a Latin word meaning love that we do things for the love. <laughs> I of love the, that. Love I love the, the uh... <laughs> I, I think you might be right. Yeah. There is some of that uh, in in uh, in that Latin root, isn't it? Um, but. But as you move forward, and you said that in Cottonwood Heights in particular, you could use another, what, 25 volunteers? Absolutely. And age demographics? Doesn't matter. matter. Bring them on. How would they reach you to say, hey, we're in that area. We would love to help you. What's the best way for them? Uh, They can look on the Cottonwood Heights City website, and they'll Mm -hmm. find a link to us. Okay. And do you meet regularly? Uh, we meet in person once every two months, and, and those are training drills. But we're we're pretty much continuously 
uh, uh, pursuing technology or uh, updating our procedures. You know, I mentioned that a major event is an earthquake, but there are also minor events, or we call them localized events. So maybe there's a flood. We we are subject to floods from Cottonwood Creek. Absolutely. We've, and, and we've had multiple floods that all of a sudden something backs down and water yeah. is rushing mm-hmm. through the so, area. So in that case, we assume there is phone and internet, but we still need radio to coordinate the groups. And then we uh, use our cell phones and we send images via the internet. So we have a procedure for doing that, and and so we're we're always trying to look at the technology and look at our procedures, and train our people. Uh, we mentioned that who knows where anybody will be when it happens, mm-hmm. and uh, so every operator really has to be able to do any of the jobs that we have of those various assignments. We want everybody trained to do any of those because we just don't know who will be available. It, when we get I was on. talking about the fires in Spanish Fork and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, having ha- come from a news training, my first thought was how do I communicate the fact that Highway 6 is closed right now? It remains closed. We got the fire. And I remembered, you know what, the, the power of the power of my phone. And was able to do FaceTime lives and Facebook yeah. uh, videos and post them up. And here I am yeah. now in Woodland Hills. This is mm-hmm. what we're seeing here. And, it, you know, for quite a while, I kept thinking if I had a network <laughs> of individuals, and I'm sure I know. And and if I'm not mentioning the work that you've done um, for those who lived in southern Utah County and you're involved in uh, amateur radio clubs that were communicating back and forth, I apologize because I'm just not aware of it. Um, but um, how extraordinary the more powerful had I known who those people were, right, right. where to find them. Because there, there are some very active groups in yeah. Utah County. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I know that. And there's no doubt that they were yeah. communicating back and forth. It just, as a member of the community that was ignorant yeah. of, of the power, you have done a great job, both of you, educating and informing us of the power of having people on the ground who are in the community, yeah. who are then already, they've got, you've got drills in place, you have ways to reach those who are in charge of trying to bring the, that emergent care or utility uh, issues, whatever mm-hmm. it may yeah. be, a large scale or yeah. a small scale. Before I let you go, anything you wanted to share? Um, we, you mentioned uh, demographic. There are uh, youngsters as young as seven or eight years old who have amateur radio licenses. Mm-hmm. I, I talked to uh, uh, some young uh, lady operators in, in their teen years uh, over satellite. And uh, so anybody can get a license. You just have to study the study the material and uh, uh, contact the Utah Amateur Radio Club, and you can find out how to how to arrange for testing to get a license. So it's available to anyone, and there are numerous things you can do with it. Shortwave, you can talk to. I've talked to the South Pole, and uh, all across the the world. Uh, with shortwave, there are satellites. That's really a lot of fun. I used to and, produce programs for shortwave radio that would go all across Africa and different oh parts. Oh my! And it yeah. was just the, the you know closing your eyes and imagine. So imagine. there are all sorts of things uh, that people pursue, and emergency uh, services is a major one, and that's mm-hmm. so uh, that's just one portion of it. Just An important one portion, portion. yeah, yeah important a very part. important mm-hmm. one. Anything else before I let you go, Krista? I think. Ditto to what Carlos said. <laughs> come join us, right? Yes, please come, come join us. Come we have part. a lot of fun. Yeah, We do a lot of training, um, like he was mentioning. So everyone's welcome to come and train with us. We'd love to have you join our club. 
or any other clubs we can get you in contact with if you're in a different area. What a great experience so. it would be for any service group of youth, too, mm-hmm. to tap mm-hmm. in, not just a scouting organization, right. anything, yes. to, to learn from this. So I appreciate your service to our community in Cottonwood Heights. Carlos Carden and Krista Thompson, uh, the leadership of the Cottonwood Heights Amateur Radio Club. If you want to learn more information about them, you can go to the Cottonwood Heights City webpage. Mm-hmm. And or call the city directly and ask for the Amateur Radio Club and get mm-hmm. some information. Let's get more volunteers and continue to take care of each other and have fun, as yes, you mentioned, because sure. radio is extraordinary. So, Krista and, and Carlos, thank you for joining us on this Our week's yeah, edition well, thank you for having us. of Utah Weekly Forum.